This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communications. I'm Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. Broadcasting from Emerson College's School of Communication in Boston, Massachusetts, Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the lens of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. Exploring ideas such as multimedia storytelling, media ethics, and how new technologies are affecting the communication industry. In this episode, we'll talk to Mike McGurk, an expert in big data and analytics. Mike helps people bridge the gap between the art and science of marketing. He's a thought leader with over 25 years of experience helping Fortune 1000 companies leverage analytics to better identify customer insights. It's these insights that, in turn, create the highly successful data-driven sales, marketing, and customer experience programs that impact most of us on a daily basis. Mike McGurk, you're an executive in residence at Emerson College. Your specialty is big data and analytics. Correct. What is big data? Good question. Uh, big data can mean a lot of different things to folks. It's certainly a, a term that's used widely. And if you, if you look at a, for a specific definition of big data, really the three components of it are the three V's. We're talking about large volumes of information. We're talking about velocity of information. So being able to ingest and then to take action with information on a near real-time basis. And then the last V is variety. Big data now can come in many different structures. Uh, Traditionally, information needed to be in a very structured form to be analyzed. Today, there's technology available to really be able to analyze almost any type of unstructured information that can be housed in databases. You know, I I love the term three Vs, because in marketing, we have the four Ps, price, product, place, position. I'm wondering, is there any correlation between the three V's and the four P's? Um, well, the the three V's and the big data that's stored as a result of having the technology to uh, ingest big data certainly is used to help marketers to support the work they do across the four P's. And what I would say has really changed in today's marketing environment is that having a, a Deep understanding of the the four P's of marketing and the creative components of marketing are are still very, very important. But what has changed is that marketers are really being expected to have a a deeper understanding of how to use analytics. And there's really, I would say, two market forces that are, are driving that. One is that companies are always looking for new ways to differentiate their brand, right? So traditionally, they've looked uh, for manufacturing strengths or distribution strengths as a way of differentiating. These days, companies are looking at how to use information and how to use that in a way where they can differentiate the customer experience that consumers have with their brand. And because of that, that's requiring businesses to go that extra yard in terms of how to collect information and how to analyze it quickly to really use that consumer feedback and come up with changes and innovative um, 
you know, treatments that really change the way that consumers interact with their brands. So what would be an example of an innovative treatment, how a company is, has taken this data, turned it in, in, into information, and created a different experience or unique experience? Yeah. So it really is information that needs to be captured across the entire customer journey, right? So consumers start to learn about your brand very early in that journey when they're going through the discovery phases online and start to compare your products and services to other companies that you're competing with in that particular industry. And what you need to do is really capture information at each one of those touch points across the journey to really understand where consumers are having an easy time interacting with your brand and where there is some where there's some friction, right? Where there's some pain points. And once you diagnose what those are, that really gives you a sense of where you want to spend your resources and your time to to really improve that customer experience. So it could be something where you're noticing that people are having a, a really challenging time uh, needing to use multiple channels to get all the information that they need before they make the decision, the final decision to buy a product or not from your brand. And one of the very common problems and the frustration point for consumers is that if they go online and maybe share a little bit of information about themselves, but don't buy the product at that point in time, but then either make a phone call or go into the store uh, to finish that transaction, they're often required to provide all of that same personal profile information again, right? And companies that are very progressive in this area are starting to connect the dots in their information technology systems can share that personal information across those touch points that so that consumers don't have to go through the effort of providing that information over and over again so what i see here is a, a convergence of a number of different factors first we have the cut the the buyer's experience the customer journey if you will starting at status quo questioning status quo committed to change, evaluating alternatives, and then the decision. What it sounds like is we're using data to look at these touch points, if you will, and provide a different experience at each touch point to continuously engage that potential customer to the point where they'll actually make the transaction. Is that is that an accurate portrayal of the situation in terms of big data and how it's applied in the commercial world? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And in the process that I was taking you through, really helps businesses identify where they need to spend their time making improvements. It, hopefully that some of those touch points are working very well and others are maybe things that could use some improvement. So using a combination of qualitative research and using big data analytics, you're really able to focus in on those pain points and take action on it. So when you look at big data and we think about personalization, especially of the customer journey, how does big data actually impact that? I'll go into a store, I'll use CVS as an example, not to give them a shout out, but I'll go in there, I'll buy something, I'll get a receipt that's two miles long with all sorts of coupons that are relevant to things I might have had an interest in the past, whereas my wife will go in, essentially buy many of the same products, but the coupons she gets are completely different. Is that an example of big data applied in the marketplace, or how does all that happen? Well, that's very interesting that you brought up that example because I worked for a consulting firm that did a lot of that work with CVS to come up with the recommendations that are put on the back of those those coupons. 
that that information is purchase behavior primarily that's captured over time so that the analyst can begin to look at the patterns of purchase, not only what somebody buys during a single visit to a store, uh, but what they buy over subsequent visits to stores. And by using techniques such as association discovery analysis and sequence discovery analysis, you can begin to use that individual's own purchase behavior as well as the purchase behavior of other individuals that look like that individual to really start to understand what people's purchase patterns are so that from a marketing perspective, you can be much more proactive. As you were talking about, you're getting coupons that seem to be very relevant to the types of products that you're interested in buying from CVS. Well, that's, that's the idea is to use the big data, use analytic techniques so that you can really put in front of consumers information that's relevant and timely um, and something that they're likely to act upon and not frustrate the consumer by providing them promotions or offers for products that they would have zero interest in. So it's interesting. We've talked about retailers, sort of like a CVS, something where you're in and out on a fairly regular basis. Is big data used by other types of companies, other type of business-to-business or business-to-consumer type of organizations? Absolutely. Really, every industry is collecting big data. Some industries are set up better to act upon big data. Uh, because they have a direct interaction or a direct connection to the consumer. Consumer packaged goods companies, for example, have a more difficult time using big data and acting upon it because they don't have that direct linkage to the end consumer, right? They're going through third, you know, retailers um, and therefore, Companies that are in industries such as the telecommunications, uh, financial services, you know, any industry that has a direct linkage and connection with the consumer are actively using big data and and even today exploring new ways to go about go about using it. I'd be happy to share with you a, a few different common analytic techniques that are being used. That'd be fantastic. Okay. Um, I would say every company should, if they don't already have a customer segmentation solution, should consider developing a a segmentation solution and utilizing it in their business. When I consult with, with companies, it's often one of the first questions I'll really dig into. And so for the uninitiated customer segmentation solution, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about using customer information or big data to, to really understand how it would make sense for your particular business to divide your customers into unique subgroups. And the reason why you would do that is because by knowing people belong to different subgroups and have different needs within each of those groups, you would communicate and approach those customers in a a different way. Now what makes 
segmentation fun from my perspective and maybe a little bit challenging is that segmentation is very much an art and a science. There's many different ways to approach customer segmentation. Some companies approach it purely from a demographic standpoint and, and segment customers based on uh, their characteristics, right? Their demographic characteristics. So an, an example there would be the receipts I got from CVS versus my wife. That could play a role. And I would be surprised if gender did not play some role in terms of recommendations that you were given uh, on the back of those coupons. But I would say the more powerful information that was used to make those recommendations was any prior purchase history that that retailer had on you, right? And and that's actually the the next level of, of information to really consider using when you go into a segmentation project. So demographics, I would say, is almost the, the kind of the baseline set of information you might want to consider. Uh, behavioral information. Now, it doesn't have to be just purchase behavior. It can be any type of interaction that you've had with a brand. If that's collected and stored, that can be extremely powerful information to use in a segmentation solution. And then the the third level or basis of of information that many companies consider are needs-based information. So helps to answer the question, why are consumers doing business with you? And what are their attitudes? And uh, and what are their preferences? The, The challenge with needs-based segmentation is that that information is often collected through quantitative surveys. And it's not always possible. In fact, it's never possible to get all of your customers to complete surveys of that type. So you've got to develop mapping techniques to come up with a needs-based segmentation and find a way to apply it to all of your customers, whether they completed that uh, quantitative survey or not. Now, the needs-based segmentation, is that more prevalent in advertising versus marketing, or are they both pretty commonplace in, in those two separate separate practices, if you will, advertising versus marketing? Yeah, I, I would say needs and behavioral segmentation types are, are prevalent in both advertising and in marketing. Uh, demographics certainly plays a role in advertising segmentation as, as well. Um, but, I, you know, it, what's, what I would say is different between needs-based segmentation and the two other types, the behavioral and the demographic segmentation, is that needs segmentation is often used by businesses to make more strategic level decisions, right, to, to understand if some of your products or services aren't uh, fulfilling consumer needs out in the marketplace that would maybe drive you to make decisions to expand your product offering or maybe pull back on on some of the products that you're offering offering because they're really not resonating with with consumers in the market so needs based segmentation is often used to make those more strategic level decisions and then behavioral and demographic segmentation are often applied in a way where you're using them to drive individual campaigns to customers that you can provide different 
communication messages, offers, and treatments based on what segment they belong to. So what you just mentioned, where, where those two areas converge, is this where the, the art and science come together, where you've taken the, you've, you've done that segmentation, but now you need to apply it to a particular segment or a persona? Yeah, a- absolutely. So big, big data analysis is, is very useful because you have so much information to really process and, and go through. But it still takes a, I would say, a creative mindset to really think about how to embed a story that goes along with the, the findings that you're, you're coming up with in the big data analysis. And that's where you would always want to have in your marketing department and on your team a group of individuals that have both the analytic skills some more of the science side of marketing as well as the creative skills to be able to really synthesize the data and think about how to creatively come up with marketing strategies and marketing campaigns that act upon those insights so if i'm hearing you correctly the the best digital marketer would be sort of the trifecta of having the solid creative skills, the art, the artistic creative element, the ability to write, as well as the scientific side, where you can you know, take a look at the, the data that's been converted into information and then create the requisite campaigns in order to attract the various segments. That's absolutely correct. And what I'm seeing in the, in the marketplace um, in the industry is that bigger companies are actually have different individuals performing each one of those tests, right? So it's, it's, it's not uncommon to see that level of specialization to happen in an in industry because there certainly are efficiencies um, in, in doing things in a more specialized format. But it, it does make me wonder whether that type of over-specialization really hurts the end product because I think if people are just focused in one of those three areas that you spoke of, then they may not have an appreciation or even an understanding of what the other person on the other side of the table is, is really looking to accomplish. And it, it, because of that, you come up with suboptimal outcomes. And so I am finding that through some of the teaching that I'm doing and some of the profile of students that are coming in to digital marketing courses and data analytic courses is that a lot of them are actually coming in from smaller organizations, right? That don't have the budgets or the ability to have multiple people in those specialized roles um, take on each of these individual tasks that that these students are being expected to wear multiple hats. And I think these students are really going to benefit from this because even if they decide that the creative side is where they really want to go with their career, having a baseline understanding and appreciation for the analytic side of, of marketing is only going to support them in their career growth. Now, when we look at big data and we look at modern marketing, what's the role of customer relationship management software sort of bridging the gap between the creative and the scientific side of marketing? Yeah, so there's an amazing amount of marketing technology out there in the marketplace right now. There's a 
organization called uh, MarTech, and it tries to keep track of all the different technology that's that's available to marketers year by year. And if you looked at the output of their reports and their research, it would show you that even about 10 years ago, there was maybe 200 suppliers in the marketing technology space. And now that is up close to 6,000 suppliers in the marketing technology space. And so incredible growth and it puts incredible pressure on people in the marketing field to try to stay in touch and, and have an understanding of many of these software and technology platforms. So I think there will certainly be some consolidation in the marketing technology field moving forward. It, doesn't seem possible that it can stay as fragmented and have as many of these specialized tool sets and companies uh, available. Uh, I don't believe that's sustainable. So there is likely to be some consolidation, but marketing technology plays a big role because it's really providing, it's an enabling tool that allows marketers to collect the information that we've been talking about and use certain analytic technologies to to quickly analyze that information and then as you spoke of crm software a lot of the crm software can help marketers execute those programs and then have the mechanism to track program performance and embed that right back into the crm platform after its campaigns completed so Lots of change going on in this space, and, and again, it's 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 a challenge for marketers to stay abreast of of all this change. So, when we say CRM, customer relationship management software, would that be the software that a a general or prototypical digital marketer would use to keep track of all the moving parts? Yeah, they, it would be very likely they would have a CRM uh, tool set as probably one of their uh, marketing platforms that they're using. using. CRM platforms are often used in a customer support environment as well, not just marketing. But they're also gonna have most likely access to a lot of other more specialized platforms. A, A good example is social listening platforms. Those are relatively new in this space but there's, there's many social listening platforms that are now available that allow marketers to ingest the conversation that's happening across all the major social networks, across the blogs, the, the forums, what's being spoken of in news articles. Uh, what they're, they're now even able to take audio recordings for example, a consumer calling into a brand because they have a question about a product they just bought, they're now able to take those auto, audio recordings and transcribe those into text with a high level of accuracy and then use natural language processing techniques and technologies to start to pull out what, what are the key themes 
What are the topics that are being discussed? What is the overall sentiment of the customer? Are they, are they engaged and is it a positive conversation or is the customer very emotional and very unhappy during this conversation? So it's really provided a 360 profile of an individual. So yeah. it's just it's more than buzzword bingo on a transcript. It's taking that that interaction, that engagement that that has now been put down in in the digital space, analyzing particular words. Now, can they also look at the manner in which someone's speaking, like the you know the volume, the emotion? Is is that tracked as well? It, it absolutely is. That's part of the what they would refer to as the meta data, and and so the. Uh, the volume, the pace, right, the the tone, the amount of silence, right, that that can be a strong indicator of customer satisfaction after a customer customer support call has happened. Generally, lots of silence correlates with a more dissatisfied customer because that agent maybe can't answer the questions that the customer has. And so they're continuously putting the customer on hold and going to another agent to see if they can help resolve that that question. Um, So to me, this is one of the really interesting breakthroughs that's happening with big data collection and the use of analytics is to be able to take this is known as unstructured data and that we couldn't use this in analytics at all even 10 years ago right analytics techniques for the most part required very clean very structured information to be able to um, complete an analysis But now it's so exciting that open-ended text, video, audio, all of this can be stored in businesses' information um, systems. And then can be, we can use different technologies to, to mine that information and turn it into insight that we never had before. So starting to pick up on consumer emotions is is an area that's really taken off in the analytics space i would say over the last three years and i think we're going to see a lot of breakthrough happening here and i think it's going to be a a major improvement for marketers because the things you could do creatively by understanding consumer emotions as opposed to just relying on consumer behaviors in their demographics is going to be very 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 different as a digital marketer, one of the things I've always pushed is if you get them by the emotions, their hearts and wallets will soon follow. It sounds like the technology is actually following that. But it raises a bigger question about privacy. If, if technology is following what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, but now it can predict what our emotions will be given a certain situation, how does that, how does that impact people's perception of privacy? Yeah, I... You raise a really important point, and I think it's something that businesses really need to be thinking about long and hard to to understand how to operate in the the best interest of of consumers. We're, We're already starting to see major changes happen in other parts of the globe. Uh, the European Union, for example, just uh, recently, last May, um, really adopted what is called the GDPR or the General Data Privacy 
uh, regulation. And all consumers in the EU will now be in a way protected by this new regulation, right? So it's good for the business businesses in the EU in that there's now one universal standard that they all need to operate from, but it does require that businesses go through a lot of change to comply with this, this regulation. So just to give you an example of some of the things that are new to this regulation is that businesses that are are, that are interacting with consumers in the EU. So it could even be a US business, right? Um, they now to have to be completely transparent in terms of finding or, or allowing consumers to provide consent to, to collect and to use any of their personal information. Right, so that needs to be in a much easier to understand format than what we're traditionally used to seeing when we arrive on websites. Uh, secondly, all of the, the businesses that are operating under this new regulation also need to give the consumers the right to access any personal data that's been collected on them at any point in time. So does that mean I could, there's a company that I've been a patron of for a period of time. I could go to them and say, I'd like to see my profile now, please. And they'd have to show it to me. They would. Interesting. Yes. And based on what you see there, if you were still comfortable with the company collecting personal information on you, you may look to have th some things uh, updated because they're not captured correctly, or it gives the consumer the option to request to be forgotten, right? So that's the term they use, is to not request deleting that information, but requesting to be forgotten. And what that means is the business now doesn't have any rights to use the information that, that's been collected to come up with any personalized treatments or differentiated strategies based on your own personal information. And so I, the U.S. isn't operating in that same way. It's got many sector-specific regulations on data privacy. You know, for example, in the healthcare industry, they they use the HIPAA uh, regulation to to really uh, regulate the the collection and the usage of personal information. In the financial services in, industry, uh, the the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act is, is used to, to regulate stuff in the financial um, services industry. So in a way, it's, it's a lot harder to manage and it's a lot harder for businesses to really understand what are the regulations because a lot of this even varies at the state level, right? California, for example, is gonna be one of the first um, states that starting in 2020 is going to um, adopt what's called the California Consumer Privacy Act, and it's going to regulate the protection of data and the usage of, of data by businesses to be very similar to what the European Union is doing. So on a practical <clears throat> term, if you're a marketer in the Northeast, you've got to concern yourself with the rules in Europe, now a different set of rules in California, and then whatever else happens in the United States. That's exactly right. 
So for a marketer these days, not only do you have to be creative, not only do you have to be a wonderful writer, you need to be able to do analytics, understand all the technology, typically what's called the marketing stack, as well as have some competence in terms of the legalities. That's right. This is a complicated world. It is. <laughs> That's a great, great observation. And But I I think it's it's definitely worthwhile for for businesses that are operating in the U.S. to figure out how to uh, manage this, you know, these complexities because the information that they're gathering, uh, a lot of people say that the uh, uh, data is the new oil, right? It, it's extremely, extremely valuable, right? And, and businesses don't want nor should they be regulated to an extent where they can't use any customer feedback to help guide their decision making. And so I think businesses here in the U.S. really need to think through their data strategy and really need to understand how to develop a value proposition that will encourage consumers to to be willing to share some level of their personal data because they will have the ability to to gain something from it, right? There'll be a value exchange there. And I don't think a lot of U.S. businesses are thinking that way right now, but regulation is likely to be coming, and I think now's the time to really be thinking through that value proposition so that they don't need to uh, lose the you know the valuable customer information and really become blind in a way to what the the consumers are looking for and what their needs are in the, in the marketplace Mike McGurk the three main takeaways you'd like the audience to understand about big data would be to recap and and to think about the three takeaways one is that big data is playing a, a huge role in in marketing today that marketers have access to information that they never could have thought of having access to even 10 years ago. And so uh, progressive marketers and progressive customer-centric businesses are really looking for ways to use that big data to develop both marketing campaigns and customer experiences that are really hitting the individual needs of consumers in the marketplace. The, the second takeaway, I would say, is that marketing and the work that it's done to really integrate analytics into their operations is creating a lot of, I would say, visibility inside organizations to want to start to use analytics in other parts of the organization. So we didn't touch too deeply on this, but it's now very common for large enterprises to be using analytics to support better customer service and better customer support interactions with consumers. And also it's being used today very heavily in the human resources department, right? To, to help guide talent acquisition and to help guide better ways of promoting employee satisfaction that leads to employee retention, right? So that would be the second big takeaway. And then I would say the third big takeaway is that 
companies need to be very, very proactive in terms of thinking through their data strategy and ensuring that they're doing things in a very ethical manner that are going to start to build consumer trust and encourage consumers to want to continue to provide some level of personal information because it's in the best interest of both the businesses and the, and the consumers. I'm Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody, and this has been Campus on the Common. I spoke with Mike McGurk, executive in residence and graduate program director of the Digital Marketing and Data Analytics Program at Emerson College. His passion for analytics and evangelizing the adoption of analytic principles at progressive, customer-centric organizations makes him a highly sought-after thought leader for the same Fortune 1000 companies whose products affect us every day. Be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss our next exciting episode.